turn, uh, turn your attention to Matthew 26, 28. I want to call this today, Seven Drops of Blood. Matthew 26, in verse 28, Seven Drops of Blood. And we're going to read just one verse. In light of the terrible bloodshed this week, I want to talk about another shedding of blood. And this shedding of blood was good news. The blood of Jesus was shed for you and me. So rather than focus on the negative shedding of blood out of a murderous rampage this week, let me talk to you about the shedding of blood that took place in another murderous rampage. But this rampage was within the confines of the predetermined will of God. It was the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you as I read this verse seven locations from which Jesus bled. We talk about Jesus dying on the cross, and he did. We kind of tend to lump that in one event, and it was one event, but on closer scrutiny, we find that Jesus bled from seven different locations. And each one of those locations redeemed something back to us. So let's look at it. Jesus says, or in verse 28, he's at the first communion service with his disciples. And he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Father, we thank you for the blood of the new covenant. We stand in that blood. We have our being in that blood. We have been redeemed by that blood. And Lord, with all this focus this week on the horrible bloodshed, may your people focus on the glorious shedding of the blood of the Lamb of God. And thank you for what it purchased for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for the blood. Now, I want you to listen really, really carefully because I'm going to take you into some things that I believe we need to understand about the blood. When Jesus shed his blood, he shed that blood to redeem us from the curse of the law. When Adam and Eve fell into sin, it released a curse on the entire human race. That curse affected everything. It affected childbirth. It affected the labor of your hands. It brought you and I into sin. We were associated with Adam in his fall. Sin was imputed to every human being. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you never even committed one sin, you would still have sin imputed to you by being in the blood lineage of Adam. Doesn't sound fair. But neither does Jesus hanging on a cross sound fair. Now, Jesus spilled his blood to redeem us from the curse of sin. And when I see all the areas where Jesus actually bled from, I begin to see that God had every aspect of our lives in mind with every place from which Jesus bled. 
So let me just talk about these seven places or locations where Jesus bled for you and for me. Can you say with me, he bled for me, he died for me, and I'm getting that fan off of me, and he rose from the dead on my behalf. This is what I want Virginia Tech to hear. I got to tell you, watching Tuesday when they had the first uh, public gathering and then Friday, I understand needing to get together and, and Friday was a memorial service. But I'll tell you what really, really stung me. I didn't hear the J word mentioned one time. I watched and I listened in vain. Now, if I missed it, I apologize, but I don't think that I did. Heard God. But see, God has become just sort of this great unknown. You can say God in any context and nobody really associates it with Jesus Christ. But I didn't hear the J word. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to just shout through those microphones that there was a healer who died for them. And that it was not that those young people and staff faculty died, though it was terrible tragedy. The real question is who they die with or without. You never know when your hour is going to come. You never know when your day is going to come. So that's why I want to stand before you today. This is going to be a video. We're going to put it on the internet and we're going to try sending it to some students at Virginia Tech because I'm going to preach up Jesus and I'm going to preach down the devil and I'm going to talk about the blood of Jesus, not the terribly shed blood this week, but the great shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died for you and me and he redeemed us from the curse of sin. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Amen. The first place that Jesus bled, Jesus bled in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you'll read the Bible, it says, quote, Jesus was praying and this is what he prayed. He said, Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. Now I want you to notice what the Bible goes on to say. Luke records that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus was under such stress, knowing that soon he would be, at least for a short time, separated from the Father. Never in eternity past had God the Son ever been separated from God the Father. But on the cross, dying for our sins, the Bible declares that there was a moment when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? He prayed that prayer because he took my sins and your sins upon his own body. And in that moment, as God imputed our sins to him, he was separated from the presence of God. And that was the worst nightmare to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe he dreaded that moment more than he dreaded the whip, more than he dreaded the nails, more than he dreaded the mocking and the ridicule. He dreaded that moment. And so here in the Garden of Gethsemane, you are dealing with, he was dealing with the whole issue of choice, choosing the will of God over his own will. And is this not one of the great battles of our own life, that every single day we must choose the will of God over our own selfish, 
self-centered will. And Jesus Christ in the presence of decision-making, of making a decision to follow God, shed blood. So great was the stress that underneath his skin, it burst the corpuscles, it burst the veins, and he bled drops of blood. Think with me a minute. In the Garden of Eden, Adam chose for sin in another garden. The Garden of Eden, the first garden. Adam chose for sin. He chose to disobey God. And the whole human race went with him. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We were all born in sin, all shaped in iniquity. We are not okay until we are saved. All of mankind was born with an inherent disease, and the disease is called sin. And the middle letter of sin is I. And it turns out that man's dilemma is the things I want to do, I don't do, things I don't want to do. That's the very thing that I do. Oh, wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer is Jesus Christ will deliver me. I want you to understand that Jesus shed blood in the presence of decision-making. Will I walk with God, do his will, or will I live according to my own will? I want you to know that Jesus reversed the curse every place his blood was shed. I'm giving you some good news today that when you are faced with a decision, do I choose for God and his will or do I choose my own will or even the enemy's will? You can know that the blood was shed in the place of decision making and Jesus reversed the curse of the first Adam. The second Adam chose for God and spilled blood in that place. So can I give you the good news today? He set us free to follow God and pursue our destiny. Amen. <clears throat> The blood of Jesus was shed in the place of decision-making. So every time I'm faced with a decision, do I follow the will of God? I'm struggling over following the will of God. I know he's telling me to do this, but I want to do that. Go here, but I want to go there. Your heart goes where it ought not. Your mind goes where it ought not. Your flesh tempts you to go where God's will would not take you. It helps to remember back there in the Garden of Gethsemane, in the second garden, the second Adam shed blood to set us free, to make the right decision. Praise God. The second place that Jesus bled was the whipping post. He bled at the whipping post. They arrested him. They ran him through kangaroo court. And then they turned him over to the Roman soldiers who mercilessly whipped him, tied him to a whipping post. And Isaiah prophesied of this moment. He said he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes. That's talking about the lashes a whip leaves across your back. By his stripes we were healed. The word stripes from the Hebrew language means wounds that cut in. When Jesus was tied to that whipping post and they hauled off and 39 times laid that, back, that whip across his back. Every time it cut into his skin, it was wounds that cut in. And therefore, every one of those stripes bled. And Isaiah said there's a reason for that bleeding. He bled at the whipping post so that he could undo the curse of sin, sickness, and disease. 
Jesus broke the power of sickness and disease. By his shedding of blood at the whipping post, the curse of sickness and disease was broken. That's why we pray for the sick. Not everybody is healed, no. But if I preach to a stadium full of people, not everybody is saved. But thank God for the ones that are saved. And thank God for the ones that are healed. I believe with his stripes, we were healed. And if we were, then we is. That's bad English, but that's good preaching. If we were, we are. Amen? Amen? Jesus received the lashings for us. But then Jesus bled in a third place. Jesus bled from the crown of thorns that were placed on his head. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 29, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, long, sharp thorns, they shoved it down on Jesus' royal head. And when they shoved that crown of thorns down on his head, they dug in, and from his head, he bled down his face, down his neck, down his body. Blood was shed from his head. Now, in the Bible, it's very clear that the head represents spiritual authority. Jesus received that crown of thorns on his head. Blood ran down from his head. Understand with me, everybody, that when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden, we lost the authority that God had given to us as the human race. Man had been created by God to be the chief executive officer of his creation. He said to Adam, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. That means authority. That means everything is under your feet, Adam. I've given you dominion and authority over all. He says, every living thing that moves on the earth. And that included the devil. And yet when Adam sinned, he gave up his authority. And the Bible says that Satan, by default received the authority that God had given to Adam. It was lost when Adam sinned. That's why Jesus told his disciples, he said, he said, now the prince, he's headed to the cross, he knows the cross is imminent, and he tells his disciples these words, now the prince of this world will be cast out. He knew what was about to happen. He knew that he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He knew he came to defeat a cosmic foe. And he did. He said, now the prince. Why did he call him the prince? Because when Adam sinned, the authority God had given to Adam fell by default onto Satan, and he became the prince of this world. But Jesus said, now I'm headed to the cross, and as I head to the cross, I'm going to do some bleeding. And when I bleed, it's going to undo what Satan has taken away from mankind, and I'm going to redeem man. The prince of this world is about to be cast out. He's about to lose everything. He's about to be defanged. He's about to lose the victory. I'm about to whip him with the blood that I'm going to shed. Come on, everybody. And so when they shoved that crown down 
on the head of Jesus Christ and he bled. Can I give you the good news today? He restored the authority that we lost. You say, well, how do I exercise that authority? Well, he told us how. Jesus told his disciples just before his ascension to the Father, he said, all authority, isn't that interesting? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He was saying, I've got the authority back, and I'm giving you your authority back. So he said, therefore, go out in my name. And in my name, when you use my name, you will cast out devils. You will heal the sick. You will see miracles in my name. Because encapsulated in the name of Jesus is the authority that was lost when Adam fell. So the devil doesn't fear your name. He doesn't fear your brains or your talent or your money or your pedigree. But there is one thing the devil fears. He fears the name because at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I came to preach him up today. We need to hear about Jesus. So by receiving that crown on his head and bleeding from the head, he restored the authority that was lost. And I'm looking forward to that day when the trumpet blows and Jesus returns to this earth. And then I know this as well as I stand here today. Hitler will bow his knee. Mussolini will bow his knee. Marx will bow his knee. Every atheist that ever denied him will bow his knee. Every agnostic that turned away will bow his knee. Every rich man, every poor man, every black man, white man, red man, yellow man will bow their knee before he who has all authority in heaven and earth. The fourth place Jesus bled from was his hands. The hands in Scripture always represent provision. Now you'll notice if you read the book of Genesis that when Adam fell, the work of his hands was cursed. God said, you're going to bring forth briars and thorns and thistles. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. In other words, what God was telling Adam is, there is going to be a futility, a meaninglessness to your labor. I've cursed the work of your hands, the production, the produce. And to do that in a man's life, or a woman's life is a tremendously frustrating thing. We were not meant to function or move or have our lives in futility. It is not an endless hamster's wheel of futility, not what it's supposed to be. Jesus took the nails in his hands and out of the hands he bled. Now, I looked at that and I thought, all right, all right, what does the Word say about that? And here is what the Word says about it. First of all, it opened us up to the provision of God. See, when Adam fell, he was cursed. But Jesus reversed the curse. When he bled, every place he bled, he was reversing the curse put on man. Every place he bled, from his head, out the skin, his hands, his feet, his side, every place he bled from was redemptive. And so when he bled out of his hands, it delivered us from the curse 
of God over our labor. I'm not in manual labor. I've been translated into Emmanuel labor. Amen. He says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. And whatever your hand finds to do, do all that you do to the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't you see what he did? He took away the futility. You're not just going to an eight to five job, earning enough money to pay the bills and barely scratch by. No, he's added a whole new dimension to work. It's no longer futile. It's to the glory of God. And if I do it as unto the Lord, we shall receive from the Lord the reward of our inheritance. He added a spiritual dimension. He said, you hadn't chosen me, but I chose you, that you would go and bring forth not a curse, but fruit, and that your fruit should remain. So thank God we are not subjected to futility anymore. There is a divine blessing and a divine kiss on your labor. Praise God. And not only that, but we've got the provision of God now. See, when Jesus, the Bible says, the Bible talks about God's blessings being the gift of his hand. We sow with our hands. We reap with our hands. It all has to do with labor and production and provision. And not only is there a different calling on our labor now, it's Emmanuel labor. I don't care if you're flipping hamburgers, it's Emmanuel labor. I don't care if you're digging a ditch, it's Emmanuel labor. When you do it to the glory of God, it's Emmanuel labor. But also, He is now our provider. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His grace is sufficient for me. I know that I can go to him and ask him to provide for me because he received the nails in his hands and the blood ran down his hands and that broke and reversed the curse. Amen. Isn't that good stuff? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Can you say it with me? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Jesus then bled from his feet. Now, the feet in Scripture represent dominion and victory, particularly victory. Feet in Scripture represent victory. When a general in the Old Testament won a battle, you would find this general walking up to the defeated general, and he would put his foot on his neck. And he would put his foot on his neck as a sign that we have defeated this particular army. We have won the victory. Now, in the Garden of Eden, man lost his victory over the devil. But Jesus, bleeding from the feet, restored that victory. I want you to catch this now, folks. The Bible says, you know what really matters? Who is your daddy? Because the Bible says, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And the lusts of your father, you will do. See, it matters who your spiritual daddy is. If your daddy is the devil, you're going to do what the devil wants you to do. Can I tell you something today? That young man at Virginia Tech that wrought that horrible massacre, his neck was being pushed down by the foot of the devil. He was 
demonized. He was under a satanic influence. He had lost the victory. It was lost all the way back in the garden when Adam sinned. The devil put his foot on his neck and every time a human being was born, the foot was on the neck. The foot of the devil was on the neck of that person, born in sin, shaped in iniquity, doing the lusts of our father. But when God became our daddy and we looked up and said, Abba, Father, then guess what? We stood up and the devil lost his victory over us. Now we don't have to do the lust of our father. Come on, church. This is good news. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because as soon as you're saved, the whole thing switches. You stand up, and you got your foot on the devil's neck. I want you to know at Virginia Tech and all over the country, anybody who sees this, Jesus Christ died to give you the victory over the greatest enemy of your life, the foe of your soul, the devil, slew foot, split hoof, the one who wants to destroy you forever. Jesus defeated him, and Jesus on the cross put his foot on the devil's neck and bruised his head and he received a death blow and now oh grave where is your victory and death where is your sting because you got defeated by the son of God king of kings lord of lords defeated you hallelujah that's right Thank you, Lord God. <clears throat> Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, behold, I give you authority to trample. That has to do with the feet. I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He was saying... You are now the victor, and if you walk with me in my power, full of my Holy Ghost, full of my Word, understanding who you are in Christ, your foot will be on his neck. Oh, he'll harass you, he'll attack you, he'll tempt you, and he'll never leave you alone, but that doesn't mean he wins. See, you can walk in victory over the enemy of your soul every day, and you do it by the power of the blood. Praise God. But then Jesus bled internally internally. He was bruised for our iniquities. Bruising is internal bleeding. Now, when he says he was bruised for your iniquity, iniquity is sins committed. And the Bible tells us that anytime we sin, it brings a wounding. Let me tell you the truth about sin in case you're being tempted to sin something that you know is sinful. If you do it, you'll have pleasure in season, but there will come a payday someday. The payday will be an inner wounding. Shame, condemnation, guilt, broken heart, hurt memories, tormenting memories, inward bruisings. It says that Jesus bled inside so that he could heal us inside. There's nothing like carrying around a broken heart. 
Let me give you an example. There are people that walk in here to church. They got their best suits on, their dresses on. They got the makeup on. Their hairs are coiffed just right. They got on the makeup. They've got on the Max Factor, the Maybelline, and whatever other stuff there is. I don't know. That's not my department. And they look good. But truth be known, if you could get them off into a corner and they'd be truthful with you, they're bleeding on the inside. Something has broken their heart. Somebody has left. Somebody has betrayed them. They have a disappointed hope. They thought something was going to happen and it didn't. Somebody said something that sliced them on the inside. Or they went into some kind of sin and now there's shame and condemnation and guilt. And it follows them. And like a shadow, it tags them every single day. I want you to understand today. And, And Virginia Tech, you're hurting. You're bleeding on the inside. But Jesus said... He's the binder up of the broken in heart. And when Jesus comes into somebody's life, he not only heals the outside, that's not all he's concerned about, but he goes into the broken heart. He goes into those rooms you don't let anybody in. He goes into those rooms even you don't go into. Jesus goes where you've got doors shut and locked and you've thrown the key away. You don't want anybody to know about it. You don't want anybody to know about your secret. But Jesus has his own key. It's the key of David. He unlocks any door. And if you let him in your life, the day will come. He'll make his way into that room that has gathered cobwebs and no light shines and that is the room of your pain and he will walk into that pain and he will open the windows in that room, clean out the cobwebs unlock the door and he'll say this to you, there is no more shame I know what they did to you, I know what they said about you, I know what happened to you But my blood is stronger and greater than anything that has broken your heart. He was bruised so that we could be healed on the inside. And there's going to be a need a lot of that at Virginia Tech. He can heal you. You get up and you don't think about it anymore. You get the Joseph blessing. What's the Joseph blessing? He went through hell on earth. Brothers betrayed him. But God was so good to him and healed him to such a level, he named his two kids forgetful and fruitful. (laughs) Hey, forgetful, come here. Say hi to daddy. Daddy, why did you call me forgetful? Because God has made me forget. All my pain. That's a good name, Daddy. Every time I call you, I think about what God's done. Fruitful? Why'd you call me fruitful, Daddy? Because my God made me fruitful in the very place where Satan tried to destroy me. When he came at you with his best, God says, really? I'll show you something. I'm going to make them prosper and succeed and recover and be restored, stand up straight, walk proudly. I'm going to fix them right in front of the eyes of those who tried to destroy them. (laughs) 
That's right. Oh, this is good. I'm going to get this tape. That's the Joseph blessing. And that happened in the Old Testament when there wasn't even a Bible yet. What can he do with you now? Finally, Jesus bled from his side. Seventh place. Seventh drop of blood. He bled from his side. John records, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately, blood and water came out. The side is absolutely representative of relationship. Genesis tells us that God created Eve from Adam's side. Why did Jesus bleed from the side? Because his death brought God to our side. Paul wrote, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He died to restore you and me to God. We were once so far away. You couldn't see us. But when he died and spilled that blood, he brought us near. You're not going to get near to him any other way but through the blood of Jesus. Now, in the Bible... In closing, the number seven in Bible numerology is the number for perfection. Eight is the number for new beginnings. Seven is the number for perfection. Hebrews tells us his sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice. So the seven places out of which Jesus bled were perfect in restoring us. Amen. Can we stand together? Can you say with me, he spilled his blood, spilled his blood. To, redeem to redeem my choices, heal my sicknesses, heal my restore, my restore my authority, grant my provision, grant my provision. give me victory, give me victory. Heal, me heal me inwardly, and restore my relationship, restore my with, God. relationship with God. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we're so touched today by what the blood did. And Lord, how you gave your body to such abuse and spilled the spotless blood that we could be redeemed from the horrible thing that happened in the fall. Lord, we're humbled by what you have done and we just worship you. Can we just worship him and thank him for his blood? Thank you for that blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. And if there's any one of those seven areas where you need to apply by faith the blood, do it. Just ask God to show it to you and make up your mind today. For instance, if you're bleeding on the inside, say, Lord, I'm going to seek you and I'm going to believe you. I'm going to wake up one day with the blessing of Joseph. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
Let's sing it. All the blood, all 